Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to GDN's Talking Comics interview. On today's show, we welcome back psychologist Dr. Travis Langley. Travis has written on and edited over 15 books in his popular culture psychology series. These include books on Batman, The Joker, Wonder Woman, Star Wars, Star Trek, Game of Thrones and more. Coming February 21st, Dr. Langley has a new book focusing on Netflix's Stranger Things. Stranger Things Psychology, Life Upside Down. Now, here's your host, Martin Sexton. Welcome to another edition of GBN's Talking Comics. I am your host, Martin, and today we have the pleasure of once again speaking to the psychologist that the geek, girl, the geek world goes to to understand what might be going on in the mind of our heroes and villains, and perhaps those of us who read and watch them, Dr. Travis Langley. Dr. Langley has written and edited 15 books in his popular culture psychology series, ranging from Batman, Star Wars, Westworld, Game of Thrones, The Walking Dead, and much more. But coming out on February 21st, he takes a look under the hood of Netflix's popular show Stranger Things, with Stranger Things Psychology Life Upside Down. So we're going to talk to him about the new book and what's behind the Upside Down. So let's welcome back Dr. Travis Langley to GVN's Talking Comics. Thanks for giving us a revisit there, Travis. How are we doing today? All right. I'm happy to be here. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Okay. So last time we spoke, uh, you know, we were talking about your uh, second edition of your uh, Batman and Psychology book. And right before we finished up, because uh, this was right before the release of uh, Matt Reeves' The Batman, uh, I had asked you uh, what you kind of hope that you would see in this uh, new adaptation. And you said you had hoped that you wanted to see them uh, show the Batman or Bruce Wayne's intelligence. So how'd they do? Uh, it's definitely a step up. They, they, they've shown a, a smarter Batman this time. And of course, what really stands out, though, is something else. We also see the most depressed Batman we've <laughs> ever seen. Oh, my goodness. Um, he, he's in a bad place, but we've always known that, uh, that this darkest part had to be in Batman's history, but we don't really see it as the story is usually told. We don't see the parts where he goes through and decides, you know, I need to lift myself out of this enough to do good for other people, you know, where he decides it can't just be about thugging, uh, it can't just be about slugging thugs. You know, it also has to be about finding a way to inspire the better people. And those aspects of what he's, he's gone through 
traditionally that's done before he even becomes Batman in the 89 movie and Batman begins and both of those, he's already embraced the complete mission and he's, he's got details to work out, but he is who he is already here. He's in the process of becoming, he's Bruce Wayne barely exists as Bruce Wayne. Although in the film, he is only two years into his Batman transformation. So I guess it, could be reasonable for him to struggle a bit, balancing Bruce Wayne and Batman, which, as you mentioned, does seem to portray him as somewhat tortured. Uh, but maybe perhaps in Matt Reeves' forthcoming sequel, Bruce and Batman will have resolved some of that angst by then. But I, I do look forward to what that will look like. Okay, so, you know, since last time we talked, uh, so I kind of been going through some of your books, and uh, generally speaking, other than the Batman, which you mainly wrote yourself, uh, your more normal premise basically is, you know, you uh, you're you're the editor. You also, you know, put in uh, certain elements into it, but you also have your fellow psychologists kind of break down different things. Was that your plan for the book series from the beginning, or did that just kind of evolve? Yeah, at the very beginning, uh, I'd written the Batman book. I was going to write the next one. I wanted to also do some anthologies. Uh, but then uh, publishing industry stuff happened. Um, and um, during the gap between that first book and the next ones, uh, other psychologists and therapists and people of related fields wanted to get involved. That was very clear. So, you know, so one book where, except for the, the forward and the introduction, you know, I'm the sole author on right. Batman and psychology, two editions now. Um it's, uh, yeah, if we if we count the the two second editions because there's a second edition coming up on one of the others, it's uh, the offer I got yesterday for a book after that would be for book number eighteen. Though I I tend to think of it as sixteen books plus two second editions. But when I did the math, I was like, "There's no way this is eighteen. Do it again." <laughs> it's like it's still eighteen. Uh, but yeah, so it's it's other it's some of the topics that really matter. Some of the topics I write more. I wrote. Okay, I'm co-authoring parts and sole authoring parts, but essentially I wrote about two-thirds of the Joker book. Right. And then Stranger Things, I wrote uh, actually a fairly small amount because after the Joker, that took some, some dark stuff. I was looking at some of the worst in human nature, you know, serial criminals of all kinds and some of the worst things. I needed a break. And so it was going to be a six-month break, but because of lockdown and what that did to the publishing industry, that became a two-year break. And you know, then, then I had the second edition of Batman, but now we've got the anthologies going again, though back with uh, my Batman publisher, rather than Sterling, who we did the previous 12 anthologies with. Uh, but some of them, it's very important to bring in other types. Like I've got forensic psychologists. They have experience that I don't personally have. We'll have... Uh, a family therapist, they will have experiences that I don't have. So there are things they can bring to these topics for, for this many books. You know, we, we need variety. We need not just, it's not just about talking about the same things in connection with yet another franchise or yet another movie or TV show. Because I, I do know of some people who 
buy all of these books and I want to make sure they're getting something new and something different about the psychology itself every time, which is difficult with some of the topics such as trauma. Trauma has to be in every one of these books. Right. One, some some books more so, so than others, like Batman, obviously. There's an old trauma chapter in Batman. Um, and uh, so like with the, some of the writers, when they want to talk about a topic that they've done before, I ask them, what are you saying differently about for example, trauma that you didn't say before, what concepts or examples or something, what are you saying differently about it? Not just applying the same stuff to, for example, stranger things. Okay. And it, it's, it's a lot of work and a lot of fun. It's uh, you know, we've got with um, the one that we were, we've gotten works now for early 2024, um, all these different things. And they'll, they'll hit They'll hit a variety of tones. Some of them are much more lighthearted than others. Uh, some of the, like Spider-Man was just outright fun to work on. It's so much fun to work on. Uh, you know, the, the the one that we're doing for 2024, that one's going to be one of the the, the darkest ones um, with some of the, the more unpleasant stuff, but maybe one of the most important ones too. But I mean, the, the stuff we got right now, we got uh, Stranger Things Psychology, Life Upside Down that is about to come out. You know, you've got the advanced review copy of that. And then there'll be Spider-Man Psychology Untangling Webs in May. And the publisher hasn't announced it, but I'm going to show people on, on Facebook um, doing a second edition of Doctor Who Psychology for later in the year for the 60 to time it to come out with the 60th anniversary of the show. But we've got some new things to talk about because the, the first one, the subtitle was A Madman with a Box, which is from something <laughs> from the Matt Smith episode. But it doesn't quite apply because we've had two female doctors introduced you know jody whitaker is the main doctor and discovering there was another one along the way known as the fugitive doctor and and that matters not just in terms of hey my subtitle doesn't fit but there are issues worth talking about uh, that have come up as a result of those things and so the, the, that that'll and i think that'll also help with the pace it's like maybe we can one of these could be a second edition each year that can make it an easier pace as long as i have a co-editor on at least one a year and uh, one is a second edition each year for the pace that we're talking about. The current publisher, they're talking about three a year and, and sticking with that. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, you know, you're talking about the different subjects you're talking about. So how, you know, like, especially like, in a thing like Stranger Things where there's, they're dealing with a lot of different things. How do you decide what you want to write about and what you, you know, is maybe not as important as, uh, some others. I don't know. I said because they say Stranger Things has a lot of things to delve into. Yeah. Well, I will have, of course, what I think it needs to cover. But I will. I will start by beyond what I have in mind when I pitch it to the publisher. I have to come up with a lot of ideas when I'm pitching it with the publisher. But then, if it's approved, I ask our regular writers. I start by asking them, "Do you have things you would like to talk about with this?" And then I, I hear from them and, and I really try to make sure I'm listening to the topics that they want to do so that we are, we're giving readers the variety, not just, you know, the, if somebody raises a topic and I think maybe that word better is this, I always have to think, am I making this sound too much like my thoughts? Uh, and, I, and I want to be wary of that. There are times when somebody will bring up a topic and I just, I just, I, I have to tell them, I don't see how that will work. 
Um, there was one with Spider-Man and the, and the person had uh, something she, she really wanted to talk about. And I do want to get this topic in one of these books. And I just had to tell her, man, that is not how I see Spider-Man. I don't think that my co-editor agreed with me. And I said, I don't think enough of the audience is, is I told her, I told her she could try to sell me on the topic and, and she didn't. And I just, I don't think that one would have worked if though else we had more than enough people who wanted to write on things, but also I want to try to recruit new people every time. Uh, we really didn't recruit new people with stranger things. Cause we'd had the gaps since the previous anthology. We did a, well with the time in between and me working on Batman by myself, we'd had three years since the previous anthology since the work on it. And, and so we've got, we really don't have new writers this time around on that book um, because I had a bunch of people were eager to say things and had no trouble filling the book with a variety of topics they were bringing up. Sometimes if I see an obvious gap in the subject matter, um, I will bring it up myself. You know, for example, if nobody had brought up issues of adolescence with Spider-Man, which of course it came up, but if nobody had brought up adolescence with Spider-Man, um, I would either I would maybe ask um, if any of them might have something to say about that, or consider taking it on myself, or or re recruit from outside because I try to. I want to mix it up. I don't want to just stick with the same people over and over, but also don't really want to announce my topics to the world too early. Um, but uh, you know, I try to branch out and, and find, I will, I will, I mean, I've met the people who write for these books. Some of them I met when they came up to me at conventions and said, Hey, how do we get involved with these books? Uh, some of them were people I had done convention panels with. Some were, um, it was their blogs. Blogs are a good place to check because they let me know, does this person know what they're talking about in print? Are they able to write in a way that will be still sound smart, but also work for a general audience? That is so important to me because there are some people, they know their subject matter really well, but they really have trouble writing for a general audience because in their head, their, their audience is still other scholars, you know, other professionals that they want to impress. And it's like, I, that's nice too, but I'm more interested in talking to the majority of people, talking to the world about how interesting human nature is. And so it, it doesn't matter if, if, uh, you know, somebody goes, Oh, this sounds, this doesn't sound quite, uh, jargony enough. It's like, well, do you really have to be that jargony? We have to use some for the language of what we're talking about, but you can still do it in a way that makes sense to people. I say, and actually, and that's one thing I found reading through the books, right? It's not, you don't want to make it where it's so dry and that the, you just lose, the your reader loses interest. And of course, uh, that, that doesn't happen here, which is, is a good thing. Okay, so now you talked about your different, you know, writers coming in. So have you had, and you kind of talked about it already, have you had a writer, you know, bring you something that you just didn't agree with? And, uh, if, yeah. that, and if that happens, how do you handle that? Yeah, Okay. Um, I know the one that really springs to my mind first was way back in Game of Thrones. Uh, I had a writer who was uh, he he wanted he wanted to write on the topic of incest. Okay, and that absolutely mattered for that. And it's one of the few cases where somebody wrote a complete chapter I couldn't use. Uh, he he has a complete draft of a chapter, and I I had to come back to him and say it's like you've got all these things that essentially endorse incest and we can't have that uh, i told him all right there is no way the publisher is going to let this run like that um 
what I didn't have to throw in because that was completely true. Uh, I didn't have to throw in the fact that there's no way my name is going on a book <laughs> that has that in there. Um, it's that that wasn't so. So usually we've talked about what they're going to cover enough that we won't get to that point. That was a really unusual. Uh, thing there was this other time i had told somebody absolutely do not write the chapter that way and she wrote it that way anyway um it was a particular it was a structure um she wrote it more like um a podcast a conversation between her and some other psychologist about this was an early one and she was so surprised after i'd recruited her right on the book that i rejected the chapter but i'd said and i had to say outright i said not to write it that way and you did it anyway because that's not what the readers come to us for if they want to hear a podcast they'll go hear a podcast um you know it's, if you have a different place so normally we've talked about what they do often and early enough there have been a couple along the way I've, out of this many books there have been a few where we couldn't go um you remember a, a different writer a, a very good writer has been very involved in these books along the way but had one chapter that had no psychology in it uh, and I had to point out, it's like you actually you 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 you're talking about the subject matter, but you actually have not included a single bit of actual psychology <laughs> in the entire chapter. Um, and, uh, and they went through it was, well, that had happened once before. I gave suggest suggestions, and they wove stuff in. But this other time, it's like they they never made it work out. So there have been a couple along the way with full chapters that have ended up not being included or been turned into just a sidebar. And I don't want to give any more information than that because I don't want to put them on the spot. I don't want to make right. them look bad because these were people who were generally trying and I, and I really want to respect that. And I, when I talk about it, I don't want to make it sound too much like me. It's, it's a trick though. I want to give them their freedom. I want to give them their voice, but I've also, I've got to keep in mind, we need a particular level of what the audience will like. And I want to work with them to help them find that balance. I would love to be less involved and have spend less time giving them feedback. Those are very good writers. I had to give a lot of feedback to to get that tone. Well, that, you know, that kind of makes sense, especially after, after so many books. Okay, so uh, Stranger Things kind of starts out with the kids playing Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, and as someone who has played Dungeons and Dragons, and I'm talking about you, not me. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So uh, what do you believe that Dungeons and Dragons such role-playing games uh, are? Why do you think they're still relevant today? And uh, even though know, it was created back in 1974, so it's got a little bit of a mileage under. So why do you think that is? Well, it is still a social activity. It is creative. It, it requires thought. And, but in a range where not everybody has to put as much thought into it. Some people can be the casual, careless, reckless player. Some people can be, it, it allows room for people to be as involved or as committed as they want. Um, they can engage in these fantasy scenarios with a game that has so much more freedom than Monopoly. Okay. You know, it's like there's there's no role play to Monopoly, even though it's like you're you're technically the landlord and the rent. There's no real role play to that. You know, you're you're not, you know, when you're collecting rent from somebody, you're not going through, ah, oh, I'm going to play the role of your landlord and collect your rent here <laughs> and then negotiate over this. Uh, over a pint it's, it's, it's you, you get you get to do these things that can make you laugh um and it becomes a very social activity 
especially for people who aren't into the things that are the common social activities of school. And so you're, you're not in the sports, you're not in the band. You could be in all those things too, though. And so it reaches across some demographics too. It can reach across cliques. It can connect people who wouldn't have been hanging out otherwise. And online games are powerful and wonderful ways to do some of that but they're also they have to be very structured because they're programmed in you know even with an open world and you're very free running around in the sandbox you don't have as much control as that dungeon master who's just making it up off the top of his head right so i mean so does uh how long i mean do you still play Dungeons and dragons or is that just you know early on and i mean like kind of i never i mean I didn't have a problem with the game. I just never found it interesting. I played it some during lockdown. Um, there came up once I got to working on the books. Um, I it it wasn't just a matter of time. It was just a different way of thinking. Um, I didn't have the need to DM to dungeon master anymore. Uh, once I got to working on books. Um, but, uh, I, I had, I had raised my kids DMing for them, but then when they were grown, uh, they did some DMing and I, I just played, I was a thief named Rob. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, so, and, uh, but, but during, um, during lockdown, uh, one of our old friends who had terminal cancer, um, so we would play through Zoom. Uh, we uh, our friend, my friends from college who had been in touch with, and, and we we kept playing for years even after college. We'd meet like once a year. We'd have a big game once a year um, after college. But then eventually, I got to working on the books. But during lockdown, we did. And so even though it's like I'm not playing right now, as like I fully expect there there will be some time when I play again. Because um, one thing I want I want to finish the story that we were doing working on during lockdown. So, I mean, does it take a a specially creative person to actually be the dungeon master as far as the game goes? It should. Um, it doesn't. You don't have to be if you're if you're using uh, the pre-purchased modules. Um, there are all kinds of tools that will help. There are um, encounter cards. You want to have some things be random. There are adventures these pre-packaged adventures that are sold and people can follow those so for some less creative individuals they have a lot of ways to help them dungeon master and they can bring in their other skills into still they can use intelligence and and other things to bring variety into what they're doing they can make choices but um it, it is better for the dungeon master to be a more creative person Okay, so uh, I actually said when Stranger Things first came out, I really didn't watch it. My grandson got me into it. Uh, he said, mm -hmm. you, you know, you're, you're going to like it. And he was right. Uh, but uh, the, the first time I tried to watch it, the first episode, I was initially bored. <laughs> <laughs> I was it, well. It's just I I reckon I recognize the tropes that they're doing as they and initially it's like you know the, the, we open with an attack of monsters in the lab and then we do have the scene with the D and D and then then uh, Will gets grabbed. It's like well of course Will gets grabbed by a, a monster that's in an analog of the one that had grabbed him in the game and and on that first episode I was bored. I will admit that I was bored. Um, and then uh, and I was talking to a colleague of mine in the department. He had that, that same experience. I told him it's like. Later on, I gave it a chance. Well, I, I was just playing it for background while I was doing something else, but it drew me in. 
Oh man, did it draw me in. I love Stranger Things. <laughs> For somebody who was bored when first watching the first episode, uh, I, I went, as soon as I gave it a chance again, it's like, I, I love Stranger Things. I, I say this while interrupting you because you were on your own story, but I want no, to No, that's, that's quite all right. That's it. anyway, and, that, and that's been the problem. And I can tell people that about lots of shows. You got to give it past the first episode because uh, you know I'm a fan of, uh, was a fan of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the first yeah. episode bored me to death, uh, and I didn't watch it again until the fourth season was started. But then once oh, I got okay. then once I got into the fourth season, then I backtracked back and said I missed the I I should have been watching it from the beginning because it's really good. Okay, so you know we talk about Stranger Things, like I said, and you know you, you have all of these uh, relationships of the main children, but doggone it if it doesn't seem to be the adults that keep causing the problems, uh, and especially as far as. Uh, you know, as a, the kids are getting together, closing the portal to uh, keep the upside down away, and it's the doggone adults who keep going back in there and reopening it up. Uh, and so... that's the perspective <laughs> of adolescence, and I think that really resonates with younger generations today who are, they have, there's, among many, there's a lot of anger at what the adults have done to this world that they're leaving them with. I say, and that's. I mean, this is a really good, ex a good example. Is that, and not once, but a couple times now that I said again, they we keep fixing the problem, and you guys keep mucking it up. No, it's uh, it, it it's it fits what they're doing in the story. It is something that resonates with audiences today, and uh, some of went on with in the eighties. Laid the foundation for some of the mess that's going on today, and I'm not going to say more than that because. You know, I don't want to get into politics. Okay, so like I said, like I said, I wasn't going to get too much into way of spoilers and things, but there's two things I wanted to touch on, and okay. one is the character of Murray Bowman. Uh, I found Murray very <laughs> fascinating. Number one, because he, you know, he was the he uh, kind of reminded me of Gene Hackman's character of uh, Enemy of the State, uh, where okay. he he didn't trust anybody. But right. he was also very insightful as far as other people's relationships. He was maybe not good for his own, but he could he could tell uh, you know when people were probably in his way meant to be together, but they were getting in their own way. Yeah, he starts off as a stereotype. He starts off as the the, the reclusive conspiracy nut, but then they add these other layers to him. You know, so you don't usually see the reclusive conspiracy nut also be as dirty minded as he is. <laughs> uh, you, and, and and that actor that actor does such a great job playing Murray. Yeah, so uh, it, was, it was good, and I, I was glad that uh, uh, I believe Billy San Juan did an examination of the of Murray, and I thought that was good. Also, the, the topic of nostalgia. Of course, the older I get, the more nostalgia kind of means to me uh, because you know I'm basically I guess it's the maybe it's a coping mechanism. Uh, I'm escaped from present day trials by remembering the the good old days. Uh, so, uh, what is it about? Uh, of course, the show takes place in the '80s, so that's kind mm -hmm. of a nostalgia thing as it is but what do you think it is the like in my case the fondness for nostalgia there's a comfort in the familiar um sometimes even bad things that are familiar we would choose over um bad things that are unfamiliar the the unfamiliar is strange and scary the familiar is comforting and you know as the the older you get the more you get tired of learning new stuff <laughs> and 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 people kind of start to realize that early in life is like it doesn't take that long for you back in the good old days it's like dude you're 13 what are you talking about <laughs> um, but we, we we like the thing and 
even if your 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 childhood was was not great, if your childhood was turbulent and terrible, you might still have nostalgia for the moments, the things that gave you some peace or comfort, you know, during those times. And for those who had a good, comfortable childhood, well, and then it's comparing it to adult life and the responsibilities <laughs> and chaos of now, you know, that the things that are familiar to us can be comforting. Um, so that's part of nostalgia because the word nostalgia itself originally was conceived as a mental illness, you know, people dwelling on the past to the point that it's interfering with living in the present. And we, we don't really use the word nostalgia that way now, but there's a reason that was in there. Well, people who just dwell on the past tend to be depressed. Um, but, but as opposed to people who j just focus on the future, they tend to have, suffer much greater anxiety. Right. You, you do need to learn from the past. You do need to plan for the future, but you need this balancing. You need to be able to be comfortable in the moment. That's very good. Okay. So uh, I wanted to mention this also because, uh, you know, and I'm not sure if this was something that you decided or you and your contributor decided that the proceeds for your book are going to go to a nonprofit group that supports mm -hmm. missing or exploited children. Uh, yes. Has this been a, has this been a goal for you as far as the book, a book goes and how, how do yeah. you decide that for stranger things to be that vehicle? Um, that, that had always been a goal. It had, it had always been, um, um, I'd always thought it was important for some of these books occasionally to, um, to support causes. And uh, with this one, there's several reasons why this was the right one to do. Of course, there's the subject matter itself. Right. You know, there's so many people who go missing in Stranger Things. The focus is especially on the young ones. You know, when Will is missing, when Barb goes missing. Um, when, when Hopper goes missing, people don't think of him as missing. They just think he's dead. Right. Uh, so it's, it's not the same missing person, missing or exploited child. And then the ex exploitation of children. You know, there are kids who are being used by, by adults in different ways. And while it's not what you tend to think of with the word exploited, they are actually absolutely being exploited in there. So it, it seemed like a, a very appropriate one. Also, since we hadn't done since we had the gap between books and we were changing publishers and I was making a pitch to the publisher. Um, I didn't want to ask people to put a lot of thought into one that at the, at that time, um, I didn't know for sure if I would have a regular publisher, but, I, but I did say to all of us, like, we're going to, we're going to do this book, even if I have to self publish it. And so, you know, if I'm self publishing, we're not getting a publisher's money to pay for anything. Uh, so, but, but that was why I also was like, but, but I'm going to make this commitment to all of y'all since we're, we're pitching the books back to my Batman publisher because they had not done the previous anthology. Sterling did. Um, Sterling's not even Sterling anymore. Um, but as I said, I am committing to publishing this no matter what I have to do. Um, and, and that was, why, uh, no, that was a practical reason why it was also a logical one for it to be one where the proceeds go somewhere else. Uh, but it had always been a goal. Um, I'd contemplated it way back at the star Wars book, but, um, it's, um, uh, but th this was absolutely one where it's like, we, we got to do it. This is the one. So, so if it never came down to self-publishing, I mean, could you do it? Um, I'd prefer not to. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a lot of hassle. It's uh, and I well, one thing about having a so-called traditional publisher is that they will get them in bookstores. I'd rather reach more. E I'd rather meet reach more people and make less money. 
Uh, so because uh, the purpose of the uh, with the bat with the Batman book, there were two publishers who were interested. I had a and one was a really good one, uh, but they were much more scholarly in tone. The book would have cost a lot more and would not have reached as many people. And it's like I'd rather reach more people. I'd rather, you know make more of a mark on what we're doing with these things on how we're using these for, for different purposes to use these stories, to, to teach some things about real human nature and, and to help people have a different insight in the stories and characters they love as well. That It goes both ways. That's why it's never psychology of Batman or psychology of stranger things. It was Batman and psychology and, then when I was changing publishers, I've, I've dropped the I've dropped the end with the anthology. So it's Walking Dead psychology, Stranger Things psychology. Um, if I if I do another sole single author book, and I know what it would be, and I might be doing that for twenty twenty four. I might put the end back in to distinguish my single author books from those. But the end is because of uh, the previous and philosophy books. Um, you know, they're between two different publishers. They've done well over a hundred of those books. Okay. Actually, probably well over 200 now that I think about it. <laughs> All right. So I want to give you something to think about, and you you may not have an answer for me. Okay, so like I said, you've done, nope. uh, you've, done, <laughs> you've, done <laughs> you've done a large number of these books. Yes. And if you had to choose, uh, which one do you feel it might is the definitive example of what you're trying to do from the very start? Is your, your Batman book, or, or is it one of your other books that you think is – Kind of the best example of what you were hoping to do. I, I still think it's the Batman book. Um, I know it speaks to people. I, I hear so many people. I get so much feedback on that one. And uh, Chris, it's the single author book. So, I mean, it's definitely a favorite thing because it's most personal for me. Uh, I was so glad I finally got to, I did the second edition, um, which came out last february because right. it's quite been a year since the second edition came out on that one and i've got a copy where i'm jotting notes in for when the day is like maybe, maybe i'll be doing a new edition uh you know eight years from now we'll see um it's it's able to reach people for a lot of reasons because of the popularity character the dur durability of the character right it is not tied to anything timely in the same way a lot of these others are and so it's it's got more of a t Batman the animated series. It has this weird mix of things that like Zeppelins flying around town, <laughs> and it has this it, uh, old old type phones. Even though there's modern computers, it had this timelessness to it, and I think that timelessness, both in terms of the story and the audience's love of the character. You know, it helps it have a reach that I, I still don't think any of these other topics um, had that same reach uh, topic-wise that Batman does. And I'm able to talk about a lot of different things and have it run through and tie together. You know, these books in terms of the anthologies, my favorite is, this sounds lame, but it's usually whatever I'm working on right now. Uh, I, I, I fall in love with every one of them as we're doing them. And they've I've, I've been happy about every single one of these in different ways um, and for different reasons. Actually, I'm 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 very impressed that you were able to right because most people that's the answer they would give. So whatever I'm working on at that moment, uh, and so, there's and there's truth to that. But 
you know, there's, there's also a favorite in there somewhere. It's, you know, well, most people try to, you know, compare it to like, um, you know, making me like pick which one of my kids I like the most. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, so there is that. Okay, so before I let you go, uh, I want to thank you, of course, for giving us some time. I want to give you an opportunity, of course, to promote uh, any other projects or maybe appearances that you might be coming up. Uh, like I said, we talked a little bit about it, but I know you got a, a Spider-Man book coming out, I think, in May. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'll give you the floor to talk about anything you want to put out there for the public well i've named uh i've named all the books that are coming yeah. out this year yeah. and so 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 rewind back to that part of the video yep. <laughs> uh, in terms of appearances i'm so far set to do nine conventions this year i've done one of them so i'm doing three fan expo conventions uh new orleans boston and the one they call megacon in florida doing three galaxy con conventions in Raleigh, Columbus, and Austin, those will start. Uh oh, in, Raleigh! Uh, I, I can reach that one. <laughs> yeah, those those will start. You oh, okay, cool. We can see each other in person. Right. Uh, those will start at the end of July. Yeah, at the end of July, I'm going to have conventions three weekends in a row, because uh, I'll also go to WonderCon and uh, San Diego Comic Con, and I might go to New York Comic Con this year. I haven't been since before lockdown, and. Um, yeah, so I, I might go to New York Comic Con uh, later this year. That would make nine. That is what's on the schedule right now for the year. But I'm easy to find. Talk to me. I was, the easiest way for people to talk to me is through Facebook, of all things. Uh, it used to be Twitter, but Twitter has gotten to be a bit more of a mess the last few years. Um, even... Um, <laughs> messaging me through Facebook is the most reliable way of getting a message to me that I will see soon. It's more reliable than my email. Oh, so, so of course I know I got you through Twitter. So, yeah. so but uh, all right, so, okay, okay. So uh, February twenty first, I believe, is when uh, Stranger Things comes out. Yes, uh, and uh, I said uh, I recommend, especially any fans of Stranger Things, be be sure to get it, uh, and uh, probably maybe. Uh, after spider-man drops i'm i may reach out to you again uh but uh i appreciate your time travis as always and uh hope to talk to you again in the future good talking to you it always is all right appreciate it thank you for listening to gvn's talking comics please come back again talking comics is a production of geek vibes nation Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.